Hello and welcome to the 2020 Game of the Year episode of A Smashing Theory. I'm Daniel. I'm Sean. And we're joined here today by my fiance Lee as a guest panelist. Hello, Lee. Hi, I'm Lee. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and hey everybody, welcome uh, to our annual big beefster of an episode. Yep. Uh, 2020 was a really bad year, but I remain enthusiastic about this annual tradition of ours, which is the three of us breaking down our favorite games of the previous year, and at least the games this year have been really good. Yes, I agree. I was just going to say that it was hard picking Oh yeah. a certain amount of games, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh this was actually yeah, this was like the hardest this might have been the hardest game of the year episode for me to like Ooh. figure out figure out my order of things and also uh to decide things for certain categories. Yeah, th- this was tough. Like figuring out stuff this year was tough, but I think I'm I finally have a list I'm somewhat happy with. Nice. And hopefully you all have been looking forward to this as well. I know the Game of the Year is one of my favorite things to do every year, so hopefully this isn't completely self-indulgent and that there are other people (laughs) in the same boat uh, in our fan base. I Uh, like the result. I'm less of a fan of the process where we have to record for like four hours, (laughs) but I made my chair really comfortable. I have two energy drinks. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about games. I have coffee. And my favorite soda, Ooh. so I'm I'm ready. Okay, cool. I have water, and I also worked longer than I was supposed to today at my day job. So sounds like uh, you're in really good shape. Uh, things will be great. <laughs> I'm really pumped about this. It'll be fantastic. Uh, so uh, laying the groundwork here. Uh, so game of the year 2020. Uh, we are going to start with some special categories. Right. Uh, and we will each kind of say our personal winner for those categories, and afterwards we will do our runner-ups, of which we'll each have three in no particular order, and then we'll each have a top five. Right. Uh, and then we'll kind of uh, tally all the results together and figure out a collective game of the year for the uh, Smashing Theory panel. Uh, games that qualify for Game of the Year 2020 uh, are video games that had their first full release on the console we played the game on in between December 1st, 2019 and November 30th, 2020. Every year we add new qualifiers and the... Uh, the qualifying nominees gets weirder, but uh, but that's where we are. First full release basically means that the game cannot be in early access. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it can't still be in early access by the end of the eligibility period. Uh, it can't be like a demo. Uh, it can't be a beta. And it can't be an episodic game that hasn't had all of its episodes released yet. Uh, right. For example, Life is Strange 2 did not qualify for Game of the Year 2019 
because its last episode was in December 2019, which right. was out of which was out of the game of the year range for us. Um, we make the cutoff the end of November, so we have a little more time to play the games that are eligible. Uh, we also made the starting date December last time, so that Smash Bros. Ultimate could qualify. <laughs> and now it's just the thing where, uh, where I'd I'd rather be able to nominate 12 months worth of games than 13. I might bite the bullet on that someday, but not this time. Right. Uh, and Smash Bros. Ultimate didn't, didn't even make it into the collective top three because someone made it an honorable mention. <laughs> <laughs> Name Sean Francis. That was me. <laughs> yeah, I, I rated a game how I thought it should be rated, and then Daniel hated me for it. <laughs> <laughs> the Smash Bros. podcast did not have the Smash Bros. game, the best Smash Bros. game ever made in its top three. Look, man, you have me on this podcast because of my wild and crazy takes, okay? <laughs> Is that why I have you on this podcast? I'm not sure I, I mean, know why I have you on I, this podcast. Anymore. I like that answer better than I live with you and own recording equipment. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound a little nicer, doesn't it? Uh, also, bare bones remasters and ports of games that are more than a generation old generally don't count unless True. they have like significant like additional features and stuff. Um, for example, uh, I think I think Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition came out on some consoles last year that. That wouldn't count because it's just Tales of Vesperia with like kind of a visual upgrade. Sure, but, but conversely, if we'd been doing this in like 2010 or 2011, Tactics Ogre for the PSP would qualify because it was a substantial rehaul of that game. With a I had a 2020 example, features. you didn't have to talk and, about uh, Tactics and, Ogre, uh, and uh, so yeah, it would qualify. <laughs> Take a shot every time Sean happens to mention Tactics Ogre. <laughs> We as a household would just be wasted like constantly. Um, I, I mean, hell, I would just do that to get drunk. <laughs> you wouldn't have to. Hey, Tactics Ogre! Um, the 2020 example is Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition because it adds an entire epilogue to the story and also uh, it has some more significant like quality of life updates that kind of change the right. way the game plays it, for the better. So... Uh, that, that is kind of a, that is kind of a gray area, like, cause a lot of it is just kind of a, a nicer remaster with some quality of life upgrades, mm -hmm. but I think I'd vote in favor of Xenoblade Definitive Edition qualifying. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, the new wrinkle that some people might've noticed is that I said games that had their first full release this year for the console that we played it on, or the system that we played it on, uh, because I realized that it was kind of a bummer that the old rules where it was just its first full release period, yeah. and if that game got like a port to Switch a year later, it wouldn't count. Uh, that, that, was, that was kind of a bummer, because it basically just meant that we would miss out on getting to talk about a lot of very cool PC games that got late ports, like sure. Hollow Knight, for example. Um, like, a, we, we ended up not doing Game of the Year 2018, but Hollow Knight kind of 
would have escaped qualification for that because it was a late mm-hmm. switch port. And uh, I realized that that's, that's not a fun way to talk about games. So, <laughs> so I think there will be games on our list that hit consoles later or at least hit some consoles later than others. And they still qualify. So, right. Um, or actually I'm looking at my list and that doesn't, Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. but well, the potential any, is there. The potential's there. The potential's there. Yeah. So those are the qualifications. Did do? Did I miss anything? Not that I can think of. Yeah. Is anything unclear at all? Not to me. I think you're good. Okay, great. Um, well, uh, I'm sure I'll do a refresher when it's relevant once we get to the actual runners ups and uh and top fives, uh. But for now, let's start off our special categories. So we have five special categories for 2020. Uh, games that maybe aren't necessarily game of the year level, but have notable things that we like to talk about. So our first special category is best non-2020 game of 2020. Uh... This annual category is basically the best game each of us played this year that did not come out in 2020. Sean, why don't you start us off with your best non-2020 game of 2020? I'll do that. My best non-2020 game of 2020 is Undertale, which I played for the first time last year because Daniel paid me to do it. (laughs) Um... I played it on my YouTube channel as one of our Patreon incentives. I had delayed in playing it for such a long time because, I mean, first of all, you know, obviously Undertale, uh, the its reputation precedes itself, right? Like, it's been impossible to escape the influence and the massive kind of effect that Undertale had on kind of nerd culture and gamer culture, Um uh, since its release, uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, some some might say a lot of the time I can be kind of contrarian when it comes to really popular things, not necessarily <laughs> wanting to dive into them right away. Um, and then also, I, I kind of got started with it, and I think that I was just kind of in my own head a little bit, and because of my expectations for the game, I got kind of, I, I got off on the wrong foot a little bit, and... Um, I didn't play it for a while after that. But jumping back in uh, was ultimately a really great experience. I mean, there I didn't love everything about the game, but uh, it's a game that has a lot of heart and is at times really funny and at times really gut-wrenching. And uh, it's just uh, it's an experience worth having. Of course, our listeners will know that Daniel and I are doing an entire podcast episode about my thoughts about the game, uh, so I won't get into them too deeply here, but suffice it to say that I liked Undertale enough that I wound up including it in this category, and that's uh, that's quite an achievement because I love playing old games and do so all the time. Yeah, woo! So congratulations, Toby Fox. We'll be mailing you the trophy uh, in due course. <laughs> oh God, no, no running gag where you say you're going to mail the trophy to every winner of. Category. Okay, I definitely won't do that. <laughs> no, it's going to get old so fast. So, uh, no, that's uh, 
I this was a pleasant surprise. I didn't know that I did not think or know that you would like it that much. So that's that's cool. Yeah, you um, know, like I I I did. I I liked it more than I expected. And there was a period of time afterward where I was like lurking on the Undertale subreddit and laughing at Sans memes and getting really getting like weirdly deeply into the kind of hidden doctor fucking whatever lore that weird guy Gaster. uh, Gaster. Yeah, I was like into that for a while and like looking up all the stuff about that. No, so yeah, it it had it had an impact on me. I think it's fair to say. I love how you got into it on that level, but just did not, perhaps on principle, tell me and Lee that that you were ever doing that. <laughs> well, I was saving it for the oh. episode where I talked about Undertale, which I thought was going to be a couple of weeks after I played it. Yeah, me too. Uh, stuff happened. Yeah, stuff, stuff came happened. Up. St- yeah. A lot of stuff happened. But uh, that will still be happening uh, yes. on our on our Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash beep boop group. Yeah, I wrote a theme song for it. Yeah, it's it's really good, actually. I like it a lot. Cool. So we'll, we will be debuting that in the near future. Uh, it's just been a nuts few months. Yeah. Lee, what's your best non-2020 game of 2020? Unsurprisingly to Sean and Daniel, <laughs> uh, it's actually Among Us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a bunch of my friends talking about it and playing it, and I decided that one day I would download it on my phone and see what all the hype was about. And I don't usually like social intuition games and kind of trying to figure out who's the bad guy and who's not, but I think Among Us does it really well. And since it got really popular, (laughs) they've added um, some improvements, which is really helpful. Nice. But... I have such a fun time playing Among Us (laughs) that I would actually take screenshots of when people were friendly with me. And I've made a few friends, like, via the internet from Among Us. And uh, we have, like, a group chat on Instagram. (laughs) And a lot of my friends play it, so I can end up just hitting them up whenever and just jumping on. But... I've had so much fun with that game, and I usually hate games like that. Yeah, I I was hesitant uh, initially to play it because I thought it would give me anxiety. <laughs> but uh, it's just swept uh, the, the world, really, in, in such a way that I feel as though I really ought to give it a shot. I think I'd probably have a good time. I haven't been the bullet yet, but I'm, I'm open to playing some Among Us among friends. Yeah, games like Among Us are why I think this is kind of a fun category, because, mm-hmm. like, this game came out in 2018, <laughs> and even though it's winning a lot of 2020 awards, actually, it technically shouldn't qualify for right. any of those. Uh, so it's cool to, yeah, it's cool to be able to talk about it in this capacity, like... Yeah. Because uh, it really blew up. It really blew up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, And it is a really cool game. I think it's a great a great take on the whole social deduction thing i've yet to actually play around of it myself yet but i've seen lee play it a lot and uh it really is like a pretty compelling experience it's pretty fun cool yeah i would definitely recommend playing with friends and not strangers because obviously yeah. there's some issues uh the filter doesn't grab everything right and, uh, yeah some people are just jerks they just uh-huh. can't handle certain things hmm but uh, 
it's still fun. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm glad you had a good. I'm glad you had and are having a good time with it. Yeah. My best non 2020 game of 2020 is Final Fantasy IX. Good choice. Uh, Lee and I uh, played through this uh, over the course of a couple years, actually. But this was this was the year that we played the bulk of that game. Um, and I've started Final Fantasy IX a lot. Like, I've started it several times since the age of, like, 13. But this was the first year that I beat it. <laughs> uh, and this playthrough of Final Fantasy IX was the first time that Lee had experienced it at all. That's kind of why I started it up, because sure. I've never uh, played or seen Final Fantasy IX before. And it was my favorite, even though I hadn't beaten it yet. Um... But this was my first full playthrough of the game, and uh, I think I think maybe the the last leg of the game isn't as good to me as like uh, a lot of the stuff that happens earlier. But mm-hmm. I think I think Final Fantasy IX still holds up in a lot of ways. I think it still has one of the best casts of a Final Fantasy game. Uh, Vivi is just <laughs> one of the best characters in Final Fantasy history. Like this little this little black mage like child. Um, he's so good. Yeah, Steiner is like an S tier <laughs> Final Fantasy character, uh, and maybe he is one of my great ancestors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some some great like character personalities and character arcs are in that game. I think some of the best in the franchise, and uh, and the music's really good. And I I love kind of the upbeat. Uh, tone that it has in comparison to a lot of its neighbors, uh-huh. a lot of the games that released around it uh, were a lot more, I think, kind of uh, darker and like grumpier and more cynical. Sure. Uh, and you know, Nine has a lot of darkness in in it. Actually, it has yeah. some really dark stuff, but um, but it also kind of has it has some whimsy to it, and it has. Uh, it has some really wholesome moments, I think. And yeah, I, I still dig Final Fantasy IX a lot. I'm really glad I beat it, and I'm really ga- glad I got to uh, play through it with my fiancé. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. It's a really good game. Yeah. I would die yeah? for Vivi. <laughs> Vivi's whole arc is really fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it really it is. is. So, yeah, v- Vivi's whole story is real sad. It's uh it's real messed up. Like it's we so finished good. the game and I had depression. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. <laughs> I, I I wasn't quite as present for this playthrough as Lee was. Um I mean I was I was there a lot of the time though. I remember my favorite character in in my own playthrough of the game being Freya, but I didn't get as far as you both did and it's my understanding that she kind of drops off after a period of time unfortunately yeah Yeah. there's a few characters that unfortunately like once they have their little arc the game doesn't really focus on them anymore right and and freya gets fucking robbed like that's so much there's so much less screen time for freya than there should be she's she's one of the best characters she is yeah those yeah those are my favorite game of of the uh of the year that didn't come out this year. Nice. Uh, the, there's there's ways that it doesn't hold up. Also, mm-hmm. I think I think Zidane has aged very badly as a protagonist. <laughs> God, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, and 
Queena, Queena wasn't great in the year 2000 <laughs> and has, I think, has gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Queena felt, like, kind of offensive before I really understood why. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, back when that game first came out, I didn't realize at the time that Queena was also like racist. Yeah. It's yeah. not good. Yeah. Um I I think the the game has a lot of a lot of pros that kind of outweigh the cons. Um and it's funny, after playing 9, I think like I think there's a couple Final Fantasy games that might be like objectively better than 9, mm-hmm. like kind of are a more consistent experience. Like I think, I think ten is kind of maybe a better video game. Sure, but nine nine is probably still my favorite Final Fantasy, and I'm uh, I'm really glad we did that playthrough this year. Nice, yeah. I'm I'm glad that you finally got to beat your favorite Final Fantasy and confirm that it was in fact your favorite Final Fantasy. That's a good. That got to be a good feeling. It is a good feeling. It was also nice made, to experience. Yeah, yeah. Also nice to show like one of my hyper fixations to the person I'm going to marry. <laughs> that was kind of cool. That's kind of cool. That sure, kinda sure. Cool. Yeah. What what did what did they think about that? The game. The game. They. I, I know you've already said some things, but what are your final thoughts on on nine? Final thoughts on nine. They do some really cool things. They do some really uncool things. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the cast as a whole makes up for it. Nice. So with that category done. Those are our best non-2020 games of 2020. Uh, Here's a new category for this year, uh, which I'm calling (laughs) the best 2020 game of 2021. So this year, uh, some terrible things happened, and it led to like a whole bunch of games that were supposed to come out in 2020 being delayed into the following year. Yeah. Uh, So this category is for the game we were looking forward to most uh that ended up getting delayed into 2021 and therefore breaking our hearts. <laughs> I'll go in reverse order this time and I'll go first. Okay. My best my best 2020 game of 2021 is Digimon Survive. Uh I'm not I wouldn't call myself like a big Digimon fan. I've watched exactly one episode of the anime dub uh <laughs> and i didn't i didn't really play a lot of digimon games uh growing up but a while back i did play uh digimon story cyber sleuth that game was really cool and it made me realize that i i think i think digimon as a game franchise has a lot of cool things going on that don't quite uh that pokemon doesn't quite like fill as a niche and like I, I love I love the digivolving mechanic and I uh I love the way you kind of progress your Digimon in those games and and in twenty nineteen or so, uh Bandai Namco announced a Digimon game that is also a turn based tactics game, but is also also a visual novel in between the <laughs> turn based tactics parts. And uh, that that sounds that continues to sound incredible. Oh I was yeah, really. I was really pumped uh, to play another Digimon game, one that had like less uh, uncomfortably horny designs for <laughs> the for the main cast, uh-huh. which which unfortunately <laughs> Cyber Sleuth has. 
the uh, the character designs seem a lot better in Digimon Survive, and I was really, really excited to play it, uh, but the Digimon Survive team suddenly went real quiet for the second half of the year, and then uh, and then in, like, November, December, they were like, hi, you'll... It's it's a 2021 game. You'll hear more about this game in spring, which means that it's not even an early 2021 game. Right. Uh so I'm still I'm still really excited for Digimon Survive. The amount of time we've gone without hearing new things about it is is tragic. It's driving <laughs> me nuts. But I I feel like I'm going to enjoy it very much when it finally does come out. So uh, Digimon Survive is my best 2020 game of 2021. Cool. I think that's an excellent choice. And I, God, the, the a visual novel tactics game hybrid is such a interesting and unique fusion of our interests that I might have checked yeah. out myself. Yeah. I'm sure you'll at least be seeing me play plenty of that game once it comes out. Oh, definitely. You should watch Digimon with me. <laughs> <laughs> because Digimon's really good. And I like Digimon a lot. Every time I see like an out of context clip of a Digimon thing, it it cracks me the fuck up. Like it's like there's so many funny Digimon clips out there. There's a bunch from the movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of the movie that are real funny. There's also one where like, uh, where like this evil Digimon's like standing like on a spaceship in space or something and he like he says something like like why do you all eat the pizza and i only get the crust or something <laughs> you've consumed so much Yu-Gi-Oh media like why aren't you jumping on this based on that <laughs> description it sounds like exactly the kind of shit that Yu-Gi-Oh does all the time i do love discovering anime from the 90s <laughs> that was secretly just an official abridged series right like uh Yu-Gi-Oh GX is that way right like Yu-Gi-Oh GX like the official dub for that is just making fun of the source material yeah constantly and it's so funny uh Digimon seems to be a similar product uh-huh. uh at, at least sometimes um so yeah, that that does sound like something I will have to check out inevitably. Sure. You have to. And also the game looks really good. Like Doesn't really it? pretty. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, the the sprites are like gorgeous. Like it it looks like hand animated. Wow. Uh, but it's still like it still takes place in like this 3D space. Okay. Uh like uh the, the aesthetic of the game is so good. Like I'd recommend like looking it up. Um Yeah, I'm there's a lot of reasons, like, 2021's, like, release schedule is already kind of stacked. There's already some really cool games coming out later this year. Uh, but Digi Digimon Survive is is uh, is high on the anticipated list for me. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Lee, what is your best 2020 game of 2021? For me, it's got to be kina bridge of spirits yeah it looks so pretty <laughs> like not only does it look pretty it's animated very well it's an action adventure game which i usually like yeah it's an action adventure game which i usually like yeah 
And it's about this young girl who's a spirit guide and gets to, like, use her magic to help the spirits pass on. And you also have to collect, like, little animal friends that help you. And that just sounds like my jam. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, that uh, that's definitely Lee core. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, Final Fantasy X was my favorite. Sure. Final Fantasy game, so, like... Oh, is X... Ten... Is ten still your favorite Final Fantasy game? Yes. No, uh, <laughs> that's that's fine. I think it is objectively probably a better game. I think it's got a better game and story. I think nine has a better cast. Nice. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. But uh, being able to be this cute little spirit guide who collects animals, and there's also like some weird backstory. Involving her father and trauma and, like, a <laughs> scar that she has. Well, that doesn't sound like the kind of thing you'd like at all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It just looks really good. Yeah, you yeah. know, like, I kind of forgot about Kena the Bridge of Spirits. Like, it had a really great showing at the PS5 event or whatever that was. Like, right. It's a, it was a gorgeous looking game and then I just kind of forgot it existed. And then, uh, and, and then they popped up to say that they weren't coming out this year, uh, and and would come out in early twenty twenty one instead. Uh, and yeah, I keep it keeps like it keeps kind of exiting my my general conscious. Like, and then it pops up again. I'm like, oh yeah, that does look really good. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good pick. You know, because I think it kind of flies under a lot of people's radars, and I think it's. It's definitely worth having some eyeballs on. My eyeballs are directly on it. <laughs> Keep those eyeballs moist. Don't don't <laughs> let them dry out being out of your head. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, my best not no. For real, do you have anything else you wanted to say about Kina? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, Sean, what is your best <laughs> 2020 game of 2021? Bravely Default 2. Yeah, I played Bravely Default 1, and I enjoyed it up until a point in the campaign where the story sort of goes completely off the rails in a bad way. Um, <laughs> and then I stopped playing it because I lost interest at that point. Uh, and then because it, I had this such a weird experience with it, I didn't wind up playing Bravely Second, which was, I guess, not the sequel, because now Bravely Default 2 is coming out, but the game that came after Bravely Default and before Bravely Default 2. It's funny, Bravely Default 2 has, like, so far it has less direct connections to Bravely Default 1 than Bravely 2 did. Uh, you mean that Bravely... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, I got confused because of the names. Yes, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Bravely 2 is, like, story-wise, it seems like it was a direct sequel to Bravely Default, and then Bravely Default 2 uh, seems like it's a totally different thing, but who knows. Um, but essentially, I'm excited about this game because just every now and again, I get a sudden craving to play just like a really old school, you know, kind of JRPG without, you know, an action-based combat system or any of the trimmings or bells and whistles that, you know, you've kind of come to expect of the genre. And sure. uh, it seems like it's really going to fit that mold. And I'm also just hopeful 
that they've learned some lessons from their previous games. And I know that also, like, they've released a couple of versions of the demo and accepted player feedback based on, you know, what people thought of the demos and made some adjustments. So I'm really hoping that Bravely Default 2, because they've taken this time, will just be a kind of a refined, polished version of that, of the kind of classic JRPG experience that I'm I'm really going to want about when it comes out. Uh, so I am, I'm looking forward to Bravely Default 2, and uh, I, I hope that it is good. Me too. Uh, this is actually also, like, on, on my radar as a game I definitely want to play when it comes out. Nice. Uh, because I, I loved the battle system of Bravely Default 1. Oh, yeah. I also ended up skipping second, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I loved the battle system, I loved the job system, uh-huh. and, uh, and I think this will be a really good time to kind of dip back into that. Agreed. Uh, you know, it's, it, it feels very well-timed. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for kind of, uh, yeah, for kind of a, a traditional, <laughs> uh, just like, uh, really dense, uh, role-playing game. Yeah. Uh, with a bunch of, progression mechanics that i can get like really sucked into exactly i have no opinions because i've never played fair yeah (laughs) that's very fair uh i think there's stuff you'd like about the bravely franchise and stuff you definitely wouldn't it 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 has dumb japanese stuff of course it does yeah At, at least the at least the first game did and the second game had so much dumb Japanese stuff <laughs> that America <laughs> removed it. Uh, the Nintendo Nintendo of America had localized the game, and they just removed a lot of like gross costumes, right? And like com- and like made completely new character models and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> back in the day before Fire Emblem made them so much money <laughs> that they that they stopped bothering right. to do that. Fine, kind of you can be horny. <laughs> I guess if you keep paying me enough. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, good pick. Thanks. Good pick. I feel like there's a lot of like great qualifiers for uh for best 2020 game of 2021. Yeah. Um. Next category is another staple of a Smashing Theory Game of the Years, or Beep Boop Groove Game of the Years, really. We've only had one Smashing Theory Game of the Year, but we also had that uh, Game of the Year that we did for Play This back when that was a thing. Uh, But the next category is Biggest Disappointment, uh, which is more self-explanatory than some of the other (laughs) stuff. It's, uh, It's the thing in video games that was the most disappointing to us in 2020. This year, with kind of a clarification, um... That uh, that this is kind of for like, this is like biggest like petty disappointment, right? <laughs> this is like, this is like biggest like low scale, right? Like I didn't like this video game disappointment. Um, like this is less like big political disappointment in the world sure. of of gaming, or like you know, I mean, like, if it were that, this, I'd have a lot this... to talk about. So that's yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, there'd be a lot, and B, like we'd uh, we'd kind of we kind of all pick that. Like, uh, like, like, for example, I think we could probably all agree that everything CD Projekt Red did this year was the most disappointing thing right. that happened in 2020. Yeah. So, so instead, what we'll what we'll talk about in detail is like is biggest small <laughs> disappointment of uh 
of 2020. Um, Lee, would you like to lead? I would love to lead. <laughs> oh yeah, you would. I sure would. <laughs> All right, go go off, babe. What's what's what is it? Pokemon Cafe Mix. <laughs> I am so offended by this game. <laughs> it's not even anything the game did wrong. I just don't like the play style. Sure. So I'm a barista. I've been working with coffee mm. for many years now. Yeah. So when I heard that they were making like a Pokemon cafe kind of game, I got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Uh, <laughs> that that Pokemon Direct announced things like a new Pokemon Snap. It announced uh like it announced like DLC for Sword and Shield. And the thing you got excited about most in that Direct was uh was Cafe Mix. <laughs> it's true because I was so excited that you could recruit Pokemon to work in your cafe, <laughs> uh -huh. and that there'd be Pokemon themed cafe items. And you can upgrade your cafe. Everything about this game, except the base gameplay, <laughs> is so good. Uh -huh. And, like, very Lee core. So what is the base gameplay I don't know. of Pokemon Cafe Mix? I don't know what you call it. Like, it's that the, type of... I feel like the closest thing is that it's a puzzle game, but it's it's not even that. It's, like, literally, like, as far as I could tell, I mean, I don't know, maybe you got more further into it than I did, because I played it for all of two minutes. It seemed like you just kind of swirl these icons around, and then through, like, luck or divine providence, they eventually vanish and you get points. Like, I, I really... <laughs> I did not understand how that game was supposed to be engaging or challenging. Yeah, like, there's little Pokemon head icons in this screen, and you link it via touch and try to make as many chains as possible. Right like linking all of them but it just kind of it, it just kind of devolves into you just swirling icons around just by making a circular motion yeah. with your finger on on the touchscreen right right and like the thing about that is in the beginning you're like okay this is easy and then <laughs> like not even that far into the game they add stuff to the screen and the format of things uh -huh. so sometimes you have to make a chain around like a like a sugar cube or something okay and you have to do it a certain amount of times to break the sugar cube and collect it but it really is like you said like divine providence or <laughs> luck because i i would consider myself pretty good at puzzle games sure and this one, I just cannot. I can't do it. <laughs> it makes me so mad because I love everything else about this game. But the base gameplay, I hate with a burning passion. And I have not picked it up since. Yeah, that's fair. That, that is heartbreaking. <laughs> like, that that sounds like such a tragedy. Uh -huh. that, that, like, your, your perfect Pokemon game exists, but with... With just one element that just makes it the least satisfying thing to play, like, ever. And it's, like, the thing I need to do in order to experience <laughs> the rest of the game. Because uh, I right, can't yeah. advance. Yeah. 
So <laughs> I'm just very mad about it. Sure. No, that's totally fair. <laughs> it's like reading a really good book, but someone has put like <laughs> like 50 pound weights on all of the pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, hate it. I'm so mad. I have not forgiven it. <laughs> good answer. Thanks, Lee. Uh, my biggest disappointment and I think I should start with a caveat here. The biggest disappointment of 2020 does not mean worst video game of 2020. Sure. Uh, it just means, like, the the shortest something has fallen of your expectations this year. Yeah. Uh, and my biggest disappointment of 2020 is Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Sure. Um, now, I think, actually, Age of Calamity is a pretty fun game. Okay. Uh, it's... Like yeah, Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity is a it's a solid Musou game, right? It's it's a good uh, kind of mindless action game uh, with a lot of great move sets. Uh, like like the the Zelda characters that are in this game have been adapted to the Musou format in some really fun and cool ways. I think one of my personal favorites is Impa, who basically is just Naruto <laughs> in a Musou game, just creating shadow clones and just fucking right. everything up with the shadow clones. It's, it's like, Impa can be a little complicated, but when you're playing her right, she's just really satisfying to play as. Uh, however, uh, it it's just... It's just not what I wanted at all from a Hyrule Warriors 2. Sure. What I wanted from Hyrule Warriors 2 is all of the characters that were in Hyrule Warriors 1, uh, plus uh, the champions from Breath of the Wild, <laughs> plus like even more characters, and even more Zelda-inspired settings. Sure. I, I just wanted Hyrule Warriors 1, but bigger. Instead, it's a completely different game with a cast that might actually be a bit smaller than the first game's cast, yeah. which doesn't feel yeah, right. Yeah. You know, you had like, <laughs> <laughs> you had like five extra years to make a new <laughs> Hyrule Warriors game, to make a new Zelda Muso, and you didn't up the scale at all. You like, you made the scale similar and then just like took that in a different direction, which in some ways is neat, but yeah, like, I, I just, like, I got a second Hyrule Warriors game, and it still does not have Groose from Skyward Sword in it, and I'm so disappointed. That is a shame that Groose has yet to grace a Hyrule Warriors game. <laughs> uh, he deserves it. He, yes, more than any other character <laughs> that hasn't been represented in Hyrule Warriors to date. Uh, also, uh, I'm... I haven't beaten the game yet, but, like, I'm concerned about the direction that the story is going to go. Um, I feel like it will kind of, that it might kind of retroactively make Breath of the Wild 1, like, less cool. Sure. Um, but I haven't beaten the game yet. Also, the, the dub's bad. The dub's bad. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, like, when I first started playing, like, I was constantly swapping between the dub and the sub. <laughs> Because, like, there are several voice lines in the game that are just incidentally said with no subtitles. So, like, basically I had to pick between bad voice acting or fine voice acting, but I don't don't get to understand half of it. And I, in the end, I picked fine voice acting, but I don't get to understand (laughs) half of it. Like, you know, like, I'll I'll, I'll just, (laughs) like... 
I'll just like do a side quest and then I'll just hear input go like it's a Dakimas with like no <laughs> subtitles and and I just have to deal with it because I the, like there's there's certain voice actors in the dub that are just so grating to me uh and it's unfortunate. Yeah, no that's that's that does suck. I know how much you like incidental dialogue which is often not subbed. Uh yeah. so that's that's a shame. Love incidental dialogue. What was Impa saying? There's stuff about it that seems pretty cool from having watched you play it. But yeah, I I have similar reservations about where the story is going. Because I just like... I just can't imagine Nintendo doing like like a kind of tragic thing where it's, you know the warriors and they're fighting to the last man or whatever, you know, like I can't imagine that they're doing an Alamo thing for the ending. And so it's like, how are they going to tie this up with a bow and ruin, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> breath of the wild. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see, uh, see what happens there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, this is a game that I'm probably still going to play more of. Sure. But yeah, just it ended up being kind of a disappointment at the same time. That's fair. Sean. Yes. What is your biggest disappointment of 2020? My biggest disappointment is a little abstract because it's not a game. It's But that's okay. Yeah. It's not biggest disappointing game. It's just biggest disappointment. It's just the fact that delay-based netcode still exists in fighting <laughs> games. This is yeah. a solved fucking problem. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, like... Yes, there's a higher cost overhead for implementing rollback netcode in fighting games, but it's just the right thing to do. Like, the yeah. delay-based netcode still being this prevalent in the world of fighting games, it would be like if Delta started using propeller planes again instead of jetliners because they're cheaper, even though they're also <laughs> much slower. You know? Like, it's unacceptable. <laughs> and, I mean, boy, has there been, you know, a reckoning about that in the year 2020. Because oh, that yeah. was the year that every live tournament shut down. In some cases, like Combo Breaker, it was because the people running it put their heads together and came to the decision that it would be unwise to do it during a pandemic. And then in some cases, like with Evo, it turned out that the founder <laughs> was a fucking scumbag and the whole thing fell apart. But either way... I mean, we've been in this situation where the only live events being run are very small things that are being run unwisely, right? They shouldn't be happening, but they are. And so we're in this situation where all these big tournaments are either not going forward or they're restructuring into online-only events. And because of that restructuring, you wind up seeing like only games that have rollback netcode being title yeah. card events. And then it's like, oh, we'll do, you know, an exhibition match of X, Y, and Z because it has delay-based netcode. But you better believe we're playing KI. You know, you better believe <laughs> we're playing all these old games or all these small games. Like, you better believe Them's Fighting Herds is getting top <laughs> billing because they actually got off their asses and implemented rollback netcode like every fighting game should. I, there's a, there, I, you know, it's not that I don't understand the resistance, you know, in, in some sectors of the fighting game industry to, uh, kind of abandoning inferior delay based net code and embracing Chad rollback net code. <laughs> but at the same, but like, I mean, at this point, if you, 
you know, if you are developing a fighting game and it doesn't have rollback netcode at the gate, you are making the wrong decision. You're not going to make the money that you could otherwise make back by including rollback netcode and your online experience is going to suffer for it, especially in big countries like the United States, where more people are getting into fighting games, where lots of people want to buy games and play with each other online. Like, it's just unacceptable. So my biggest disappointment is the delay-based netcode still exists in, uh, in, and continued to exist throughout 2020. It's just crazy to me. That's incredibly fair. Yeah, I do agree with all of that. Um, <laughs> like this, this in particular was just the worst year. Yeah. to have a bunch of fighting games without without rollback. Like, and you know, I should I should say because I just jumped into this because it makes me so mad. Um, rollback netcode. If you it, you know compared to delay based netcode, the I I won't get into the mechanics of it, but essentially it just it feels much more like you're playing live. But it is yeah. also more complicated to put into your game. Um, yeah, I, I, and I do see like I see a lot of resistance, not just from game industry, yeah, like not just from developers, but also from players. Uh, you know, saying that it's it's not actually that much better. But I feel like I, I mainly see that from people that haven't actually got into play games with rollback they're the anti-vaxxers of the fighting game world they really are like i i follow um keats who you know over over at iron galaxy uh who, yeah. who helmed uh, you know the ki remake after they took control of it yeah he was um, the lead designer on seasons two and three yeah and and i mean there was a period of time where his entire twitter feed was just him like uh, like quote tweeting people saying that uh, rollback netcode is bad and explaining why they were wrong, you know, <laughs> like you you I mean you have to do a modicum of research to find out that most people defending delay based netcode are either like ignorant or contrarian. I mean it, it's the way of the future and it, we we gotta we gotta get on it if we want fighting games to continue to stay relevant going forward. Yeah. I guess a couple a couple side thoughts. One, I do like that the state of like the fact that all these tournaments had to run like them's fight in herds and like <laughs> uh I love the attention it is, it is drawn to smaller games yes. and like the the kind of new scenes that these smaller games have gained as a result. Yeah. I love kind of the resurgence of Killer Instinct. Me too. Uh which I thought was a game that didn't really get its fair shake when it was actually like relevant and like yeah. and and being regularly updated. And and B, I I love how I said no political answers for biggest disappointment this year, and you found a way to get as close to a political answer as possible. Look, man, it was my biggest disappointment. <laughs> it's like I'm going to have to add more restrictions to that category next year. Yeah, the, like the, this, that, and you can't talk about net code. All right. Fine. <laughs> It's just like biggest disappointment that was a video game and not an abstract concept. <laughs> and also can't be used as a tangent that lets you talk about like three different political things. Anyway, yeah, we'll workshop it. Sure. It's cool. I do think that's a good answer. Good, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, up next is best soundtrack. Uh, best soundtrack. Yeah, the, these tend to get, these ones are pretty self-explanatory yeah. but best soundtrack yeah best soundtrack of 2020 what was the what was the game with the best soundtrack uh that we played 
this year or not even that we play just that we experience mm-hmm. like even if we even if we got like a vinyl with like the Hades soundtrack on sure. it and just like played that without even knowing what the game was and we loved it like that that's still qualifies yeah. that's still good um but uh but yeah what were the best soundtracks we experienced this year uh sean what was yours mine was final fantasy 7 remake um i played final fantasy 7 remake all the way through and my feelings about the game were mixed but my feelings about the soundtrack were not mixed i thought it was excellent um i thought that even songs where they were cleaving very closely to the original kind of feel and interpretation of the music like the bombing run for instance at the beginning of the game that's just like Mm. a really good arrangement of the bombing run from final fantasy 7 original with you know kind of modern instruments and you know uh, kind of better quality sound and that's great by itself because that game has a great soundtrack but there are also, a, you know, the uh, people who worked on the game, and it was a team of composers that worked on the game, also weren't afraid to kind of take risks and really radically interpret some of the other game's songs. And I think that they really succeeded in those areas as well. It's a great nostalgia trip for people who played and loved Final Fantasy VII. But also, if you're just coming into the game... You know, um, even without having any knowledge of Final Fantasy VII, uh, you know, I mean, you might have trouble following along with other parts of the game. But the soundtrack is just a bop all the way through with or without context. Um, it's really, really great. Uh, and I find myself like listening to it when I'm commuting or thinking about it while I'm doing other things. Uh, there were a lot of songs that kind of uh made me think about ways that i could like new techniques that i could try in my own music writing um it's Hmm. definitely just it's stuck with me more than the soundtrack of any other game that i played in 2020 so for sure uh final fantasy 7 remake gets best soundtrack for me nice uh my favorite soundtrack i had some trouble with this one and i decided to pick uh kind of the soundtrack that I, I think deserves accolades for being uh, being so earnest and being so, like, true to itself. Uh, I think there might be some games that came out this year that technically have better soundtracks sure. in my books, and I might end up talking about them <laughs> down the line. Um, but I'm giving, I'm giving the award to Eichenfell. Nice. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an indie game, so maybe... You don't know what this is. Um, it is, it is a very, uh, a very cute and very gay uh, turn-based RPG <laughs> uh, from Chevy Ray. I just, I just want that to be the subtitle of the game, right? Like I can fell <laughs> colon line break a very cute and very gay RPG. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is basically its tagline. <laughs> Uh, because those things are constant yeah. like that that is you always like you always feel like those energies <laughs> throughout the whole game as you play mm-hmm. it uh and and yeah it's got this great like uh this very like this very crisp uh very uh very pleasant like sprite based uh art style mm-hmm. and aesthetic um and uh and the battle system is kind of like a grid based uh but with paper mario style like timed inputs nice and yeah like i i actually 
played this at a Day of the Devs event uh, in like 20, 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I really knew about that game before I played it, and uh, and I had kind of a blast. Like it was really like I met I met the developer Chevy Ray there, um, and uh, and like we're you know we we haven't spoken since we're not friends, so I don't <laughs> feel a need to do like a disclosure or anything. Sure. I follow him on Twitter. But, uh, like, it's a very charming game, and I think a lot of that is thanks to the soundtrack, uh, which is put together uh, mainly by Avi and Sarasu, the composers of the Steven Universe franchise. I should have fucking guessed. <laughs> From what I've heard of that soundtrack, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, they they really bring a lot of that Steven Universe energy to the Eichenfeld soundtrack, but I also think that energy fits Eichenfeld perfectly. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, there's just some really great tracks, you know. Uh, like there's a lot of exploration ones that really fit the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's uh, there's a minimum of one track with sung lyrics. I was actually gonna uh, say that my favorite song out of the ones that I heard was like. Because there's a version of that song without lyrics, and then yeah. like the scene changes, and suddenly it has lyrics, and I thought that and was very well done. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I thought that was really cool too. Um, I love like the the soundtrack really the the soundtrack really goes for it. I think you know <laughs> it like it it just like uh you can just feel the love that the composers and the arrangers put into that soundtrack. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I, I think it's, I think it's a very special, I think it's a very special soundtrack and I've only played like, uh, like five to 10 hours of that game so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't even heard a lot of it yet. And I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that. I feel like I haven't even heard the best tracks in the game yet. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, I'm also looking forward, forward more to every character in the game flirting with each other <laughs> um, <laughs> uh yeah it's it's, it's good I, I like i can feel a lot it it kind of barely missed out on being in my runners up or my top five but but i think it deserves best soundtrack nice yeah i think that you know based on what i've heard of the soundtrack i can certainly see why you're you're giving it that that degree of praise and uh I was thinking as I was watching it that like there's so much cool stuff going on in that game, including the soundtrack, that I might want to pick it up myself. So, you know, good job selling me on that based on the music alone. Nice. And I actually almost put that as best soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh. <laughs> good. Um, Eichenfell's really cute. I think having the kind of music style it does on top of having songs with lyrics is really cool. I feel like that's not as popular in uh yeah. in like modern day games. So it's cool yeah. to see that. Also yeah. Chevy Ray is precious. <laughs> Chevy Chevy Ray is precious. We we are not friends, but part of me wishes that we were. Uh... <laughs> yeah, like while Daniel was playing the demo, he had the headphones on and I was standing next to Chevy Ray and since I couldn't hear anything Chevy Ray would explain the sound effects and the little like music stuff that <laughs> I cool. couldn't hear that Daniel could, and he was very enthusiastic about it, and I loved that. Nice, yeah. Like he'd just like lean over to Lee and be like, "You can't hear it, but uh, <laughs> when when the enemy jumps here, you hear like a bloop." <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> it was cool. the best part of Day of the Devs. <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> like, so, so throughout the Day of the Devs event, um, eventually, like it, it started out very disorganized. But eventually, like, you know, there was kind of uh, an understanding that if you're standing in line or if you're playing a game, you should play it for, like, 10 to 20 minutes and then move on sure. so that people waiting behind you can play more. Um, no one really ended up waiting behind me in line for Eichenfell. A few people kind of gathered around to watch me play, but uh, but no one did that, and that etiquette hadn't really been set up yet. And I also wasn't really aware of how much time was passing <laughs> as I was playing the Eichenfell demo. So I played the Eichenfell demo for like an hour <laughs> uh, at Day of the Devs. Like that was the first hour of our day of our eight hour Day of the Devs experience, and it left us with so much less time <laughs> to play the other things that we wanted to play right. for the rest of the event. But it, it was kind of worth it, actually. Nice. To be fair, we got there an hour early. Like, we had the early yeah. access. We did, we did. And mostly everybody else was in line for Kingdom Hearts 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. A lot of that early crowd tried to play Kingdom Hearts 3 first, so, like, sure. a lot of games were wide open, um, including Eichenfell. It, I think I think Chevy was kind of, like, really happy that, like, I gravitated towards his game, like, so early and played so much of it. Nice. Uh, so that was kind of nice, too. Lee... What's your favorite soundtrack of 2020? I think the best soundtrack of 2020 is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Ooh. It's by the same guy who did the soundtrack for the first game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think he really nails it in this soundtrack. He adds more unique themes, kind of more unique whimsical elements of... Uh, certain themes like for the most part it feels very in the spirit of ori Mm -hmm. like kind of soft magical you're on this adventure (laughs) uh but there's some themes where he actually kind of ramps up to the anticipation of the fight you have to do Mm. or this character or encounter you're coming across and so it's cool to see kind of to kind of see that range because one moment you're like oh la 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 i'm in this forest and it's magical and then like the next moment you're like oh shit there's a spider (laughs) and it's just really good (laughs) i was listening to it today actually and it made me want to play the game it's very beautiful yeah yeah that that that's one game that i kind of missed out on this year like i I really want to play those ori games yeah, me too. And I haven't heard really any of the soundtrack aside from like trailer music, but I I can definitely see why a game would like that would need to have a really solid soundtrack for kind of purposes of immersion, and so I'm glad that it does. It's so good. Yeah, and that trailer music is gorgeous. Oh yeah. Just like the game. <laughs> it Yeah. Honestly, it would be really weird if you had such a really beautiful game. And not as <laughs> the beautiful music. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think it did a really good job making sure that the level of beauty that the game has is matched by the level of beauty the music has. Nice. Hmm. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like that 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 does feel like that'd be like a a 
a challenge, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of impressive that he does that without really making the player think about that. Agreed. Players that aren't music majors, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, as a music major, <laughs> video game music is actually really important for me to enjoy the game. Sure. Yeah. I'm also actually real big on video game soundtracks. Yes. Um, yeah. Like, that. that's why it's a category in <laughs> in Games of the Year every year, because right. I think soundtracks are awesome to talk about, and I'm always down for an excuse to talk about game soundtracks. Sure. So, thank you both. Good answers. Yeah. Woo! Okay, last category is best game I didn't play of 2020. Uh, this is basically uh, a game that came out this year that we missed out on, that we did not get to play, but wish that we did, and are fairly certain that we would love it if we had the opportunity to dig in. Um, so, Lee, what was the best game you didn't play of 2020? The best game of 2020 that I didn't actually play I'm going to go ahead and give it to Ghost of Tsushima. Nice. Nice. The game is just stunning, like, visually. Mm. Uh, You get to play as the samurai trying to defend your island from being taken over. And I think there's a lot of cool elements about the game. Like, not only is it beautiful, uh, you get to play as this cool, badass samurai, but it's open world. And you get to explore that as much as you want. Like, it doesn't sideline you or railroad you into, like, a specific path to take. You can just do that whenever. And I like that a lot. (laughs) Because sometimes in games, I just want to go around and kind of do my own thing and explore things on my own. Mm -hmm. But a lot of open world games kind of set it up so that you have to do something in a certain sequence. And you don't have to do that. Like Nice. Like you don't have to be guided to a certain area. You can just kind of explore as much as you want. And on top of that, you can <laughs> There's two ways you can take on enemies. You can either just run up and engage in direct combat with your weapon and just like go ham. <laughs> Or you can take the Sean Francis route (laughs) and be stealthy. Yeah, that is the Sean Francis route. (laughs) It's it's funny because it's like it's like the Daniel way and then the Sean way. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's cool. That is cool. It is. I think it's nice that they give you the option, at least. Um and there's also like a multiplayer mode, which is cool. Uh, called Legends, where it's basically just like a horde mode, basically. Right. Um, and you can also do story missions. But the game just looks beautiful. The music is nice. Um, there appears to be some really cool characters. The gameplay seems really neat. The story feels rich and original. Like, yeah, okay, you're a samurai. We've heard that before. (laughs) But I think they execute it in a way that it makes it feel three-dimensional and like a real story. Hmm. And there's some cool twists that I will not mention, uh, but it got spoiled for me by TikTok, TikTok, Uh, of all places. mm -hmm. And I think it's great. (laughs) So Nice. (laughs) I gotta give it to this one. Cool. (laughs) 
I I just like um imagine like just a TikTok with like fucking much the same playing <laughs> and like someone like so someone like just like looking sad like with grayscale while like rain's falling and it's just like when your wife gets assassinated by the Wu Dynasty. <laughs> That's not what it was. <laughs> I, see, <laughs> Good, because I don't actually want to spoil the game. My brain also immediately made up like a TikTok meme in the format of like, what if you wanted to be a cute little samurai, but God said, you're actually really a ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. You're both wrong. Good, I'm glad I was wrong. <laughs> it was just a girlfriend trying to pull like a boyfriend prank on her boyfriend, mm. but he was in the uh-huh. middle of playing oh. and reached a very sad twist. Wow. And he was very emotionally stunted from it, so she couldn't do the prank. Holy shit. And it was great. That's incredible, yeah. actually. Yeah. That's really funny. Cool. Any more Ghost of Tsushima stuff to say? Um, from what I know, the female characters seem badass and okay. not problematic. Okay. Nice. Okay. Which is nice for feudal Japan. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, you know, points for that. But, I'd be uh, interested to see how many actual like Asian and Japanese writers there are on the staff of that mm, game. True. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, just looking at the writers, it doesn't look like. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't look like there's uh, any. Oh. Uh, oh, no. That... Well. Ah, uh, well. That's my um... biggest disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, either way, that is a good pick, baby. Yeah. Um, Sean, what is your. Best game you didn't play. My best game I didn't. 2020. My best game. Of 2020. <laughs> of, my. Of 2020. Oh my god. Fun... <laughs> what was your 2020 game you didn't play, Sean? My. Francis. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Christ. This is going to be a long <laughs> night, Daniel. Uh, I'm sorry. Please tell us uh, best game you didn't play 2020. I'd love to. <laughs> my best game i didn't play is half-life alex Ooh. i didn't play this game because we we do have a vr headset but i think you need like even more vr equipment than we have in order to really play the game adequately um, yeah and also it's not we have oh right we have oculus PS vr or psvr we have that's what psvr yeah. yeah um and it's not Right. It's not available for PSVR. Uh, which is a shame because this game looks phenomenal. I should say, first of all, I like the Half-Life games and the Half-Life universe generally. And I was very sad that there was this long period of time where more Half-Life games were being made. Uh, and so it's cool that it's back. But then also just the footage that I've seen of this game. I mean, it really seems like they're doing remarkable things with the medium of VR. Like uh, being able to like pick up a marker in game and write one-to-one on a whiteboard uh being able to you know reload your gun by like sliding the clip out popping a new one in and racking the slide like there's just a lot of cool tactile stuff that they were able to do 
that really make it or seem to make it feel as though you're kind of really there, you know, in City 17 or wherever it takes place, uh, shooting head crabs and fighting off combine forces. Um, like, I think that for a long time, I kind of I sort of cast VR aside as this gimmick thing that needed some time to grow. And I think that for a long time, that's exactly what it was. But it just seems to me that this was this is the first game that I've seen that made me think like, okay, you know, maybe at this point VR is ready for prime time. Like maybe at this Hmm. point there can be really compelling games for VR that don't just feel, you know, kind of like a gimmick or that, you know, aren't sort of like a Beat Saber experience where, of course, they are good, fully fledged games, but but they don't feel uh this is gonna sound so pretentious but it's it's not like a work of art you know um (laughs) so to to have a game like half-life alex come out where it feels as though they are using the medium of virtual reality to give you an experience uh and kind of tell a story that you wouldn't be able to have if it were just a console you know kind of a regular console game that you play with a controller um i think is very cool um and i'm glad that uh the game has gotten some recognition like i know easy allies voted it their game of the year uh that's very cool and i hope that the the ambition that was on display you know in the creation of half-life alex leads to kind of the proliferation and the normalization of vr and maybe makes it more accessible more affordable uh you know as as kind of investments are made into improving the vr experience uh so half-life alex is for sure the best game i didn't play yeah i think that's a cool pick because it really does like it feels like a very impressive vr game uh half-life alex is kind of bittersweet for me because (laughs) like i think a lot of it being so well made is because uh (laughs) valve dissolved campo santo the developers of firewatch who they acquired Mm. uh into their vr development team to work on this game uh while they were in the middle of working on a different game that i was very much looking forward (laughs) to uh and is you know they didn't even bother to officially state that that game has been canceled (laughs) but it absolutely has so it's very cool to see that like you know with valve's backing they've made an incredible game uh but uh at what cost (laughs) yeah that's fair but no it does look very cool it'll be neat uh if this makes vr big enough that valve can port it to everything yeah as they like to do with their other popular <laughs> games. And it is really cool that Valve seems to have successfully uh, made a video game that's like a good argument for VR, you mm-hmm. know, because I think, I think there's, there's a small number of games that, that qualify for that. Like I love, I love Beat Saber, for example, but uh, Half-Life Alex. It's cool that someone managed to make like a deeper, more complex right. experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, of course, yeah. and I, I think this came across, but just to be totally clear, I wasn't trying to knock Beat Saber earlier. I think it's a very cool game, but, you know, Half-Life Alex, it's it's kind of playing in a different field, right? And I think yeah. that it's cool that it manages to be such a different experience. Half-Life Alex looked really cool. Just from the small clips I've seen, I feel like I would have a lot of fun with that in VR. Cool. Yeah. Glad we're all looking forward to it in one way or another. Yeah, someday. (laughs) 
someday I'm sure we'll get our hands on it. Yeah. There will come a point when, you know, everybody has all the VR stuff, you know? Like, there there will come a point where VR becomes more accessible than it is, but... Or it will be considered a fad and phase out completely, and it'll be one of those games that you never, ever get to play, like fucking Mario Clash for the virtual (laughs) Right, yes, that's true. But I'm, I'm hopeful for VR. I think that... As we've seen it get, you know, kind of more heavily invested in and as cooler and cooler games getting made for it, I hope that it remains a part of the gaming mainstream because there's a lot of really neat applications for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be cool. I think that would be cool. Nice. And my best game I didn't play of 2020 uh, is Moon Remix RPG Adventure. (laughs) So, I, I mentioned earlier that uh that like ports of games that are more than a generation old uh do not count um i forget if i mentioned this during my breakdown actually but there is one exception to this and that exception is if it is a game that never got localized and released in the united states before this year uh and Moon Remix RPG Adventure is one of those. It came out for the PS1 in Japan a uh, long-ass time ago, <laughs> uh, but it never got a localization. And then Toby Fox, like, in 2018 or something, was like, hey, uh, the themes of this game was a major inspiration for Undertale, actually. And people were like, what? <laughs> and and Toby was like, hey, maker of Moon Remix RPG Adventure, I, I think this game is really cool. And I'd I'd like to play it in English someday. And the creator of Moon Remix RPG Adventure was like, what? And then he was like, I'm going to release it in English. <laughs> and then he released it in English. And uh, and I feel like it's done like mo- moderately well right. just because uh, Toby Fox kind of talked it sure, up. Sure, sure. You know? Right. Um, and technically, I've played about 20 minutes of this game. Uh, like I, I started it, I died and then I have not gone back (laughs) to it. Um, but, uh, but I really want to give it a full playthrough because, uh, even before Toby Fox talked this game up, I was aware of it and was really intrigued by it. Um, as you know, as kind of, uh, as kind of a game that plays with tropes and RPGs and has a very like, uh, weird, uh, uh, quirky tone. Uh, it seems to have a lot of Daniel energy to it. And uh, and I have been really looking forward to giving it a fair shake. Like, uh, it's a very old game. Like, a lot about it is very archaic, and uh, and there's actually kind of like there's kind of a guide online for it for like that's kind of that kind of uh, gives you suggestions for how to play it because it's a very obtuse mm, game on top of everything. Right. But I feel like if you're willing to dunk the time and effort in, uh, that it that it's probably going to be a really wonderful experience. Actually, uh, one of the hosts of Nintendo Main, a podcast we've uh, we've guested on a couple mm-hmm. times, uh, Jeremy, uh, like he spent like two months straight just like <laughs> raving about Moon on his Twitter. Um, so I know that there's a good game there because I, I I think that guy has a good taste. Nice. I really want to get around to Moon, and I hope that I do. But for now, it is the best game that I didn't play of 2020. Fair. 
Yeah, I uh, I was peripherally aware of Moon, but you know the now that I've played Undertale and enjoyed it, and now that I know that it was one of Toby Fox's inspirations uh, for Undertale's creation. I definitely at least want to look into it. Like, I don't know if I necessarily want to put the energy into experiencing it as a game, but I am very curious about it now. Um, sure. And uh, be- knowing what I know about it, you know, I can I can definitely see why you included it and highlighted it here. I think it's worthy of that. Thank you. Of course. It feels like a very Daniel Corey game, so I feel like <laughs> you will get around to it at some point. Sure. Yeah, yeah, someday. Someday, someday. All right, those are all of our special categories. All right. Uh, Up next is actual games (laughs) that are good. Yeah. Uh, Other stuff was good, obviously, but we're starting with our runner-ups, games that did not quite meet our main top five, but games that we still wanted to give shout-outs I try to make this section shorter, so uh, what I'm going to try to do is we'll each take turns just uh, rattling off uh, our three runner-ups. We each get three. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, on average, I want us to spend a minute or less talking about each of our games. Okay. Um, Once we're done rattling, uh, let's say... I've rattled off my three. Uh, Sean, you can pick one game that I said mm-hmm. to to uh, to comment on, and we can have a, a little bit of expend- <laughs> extended discussion on it. Then, Lee, you can pick one of my games, and the other one we just don't talk about. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, does, that, wait, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Can you say that again? Okay, so basically, as an ex- uh, as an example for how I want this to go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say my three runners-ups, right? I will talk less than a minute about each one, but kind of summarize my thoughts about them really quickly. Um, so, like, let's say I, I talk about Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and Sonic the Hedgehog 3, which all came out in 2020. Um, <laughs> then Sean will pick one of my games... Uh, to comment on, and we can have a little bit of extended discussion, but not too much. Uh, the three of us can, and then after that, you can pick. So let's say Sonic picks on uh, Sean. <laughs> let's say Sean picks Sonic the Hedgehog two. I pick Sonic the that. Hedgehog two, and we talk about that for a bit. But then you pick Sonic the Hedgehog three, and we talk that for a bit, and then we just don't talk about Sonic the Hedgehog one, and we move on to to Sean's games. Okay. Um. Yeah. Does that does that yes. all make sense? Yeah. Okay. Great. So, uh, I'll go first to kind of uh, set the precedent uh, further so you guys know how to handle yours going forward. So, uh, my three runners-ups. My first one is uh, CrossCode. There were actually a lot of uh, smaller, uh, there were a lot of, like, very cool indie experiences that I played this year. They were all kind of vying for the spot, like... uh, uh, like, Eigenfell almost got it, A Short Hike almost got it, uh, Takeshi and Hiroshi almost got it, uh, but I think CrossCode uh, did the best job just uh, having just this incredible setting and 
just this really well-written dialogue, and I loved being in the world when I was playing. I did not get to beat this game, uh, but, like, it's it's this indie game. It's uh, it's an action RPG set in an MMO that's also the real world. <laughs> uh, and, like, the setting was super cool. The characters were great. The, the writing was really fun and snappy and cute. Um, and I was really, like, I got distracted from it, and I did not go back. But I got really hooked on it for the time that I was playing, um, maybe more so than any of the other almost runner-ups that I did. Um, my next runner-up is Monster Train. Uh, Monster Train is uh, kind of a Slay the Spire-like, where you're, where you're on this train, and it plays a lot like Slay the Spire, except there's different like levels of the train that you fight on, and uh, and also you play units you play like uh like like monsters uh on top of like spells and abilities and stuff and it was it's such a derivative experience <laughs> it is so similar to the slay of the spire that i could not in good conscience give it my top five but it is one of the games i played the most this year <laughs> after i first started playing it like i am so hooked on monster train like that is such an addictive game it is so well designed it is so fun uh, the one thing about it that kind of bums me out is that Slay the Spire, uh, when you beat each run, mm-hmm. like, it feels like there's a little, like, progression towards, like, towards, like, a win state, and Monster Train's like, good job, you beat the run, you want to do the next <laughs> run? And, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's a bit of a deflated experience, but the core gameplay so satisfying, uh, all the different classes and the way you can mix them together, because another thing it does is uh you can pick uh you can pick one primary uh faction and a secondary faction and you get cards from both factions and you can mix them together into huh. different playstyles uh all the ways that those gameplays mix together uh super addictive and satisfying and <laughs> my final runner up uh by the way this is all in no particular order yeah. these are all just good games is uh Jackbox Party Pack 7 uh <laughs> There were a lot of uh, games that I was very happy existed because they offered kind of multiplayer experiences in this very uh, this this period of uh, this 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 social drought, right? Uh, games that you can kind of play with friends, either like whether it's in your in your quarantine bubble or online. Uh, and Animal Crossing almost got a slot here, uh, but Jackbox Party Pack Seven, in particular, uh, like other Jackbox Party Packs, it has five other smaller games that you can play in groups, and uh, it has a it, all of the the games it has are pretty solid and good. It has Quiplash Three, and I love Quiplash. You basically just come up with dumb jokes and. Uh, you win if your jokes are the funniest, and uh, that's always very validating and fun to me. But the reason Jackbox Party Pack 7 rocketed onto my favorite eight games of 2020 is uh, a minigame called Talking Points, <laughs> where basically uh, you run a, like, you the player have to do a TED Talk for your audience, for the other players. Uh, you have to do a TED Talk. One other player creates the slides for you, 
and the title of your TED Talk is also, like, randomly generated, basically, with some keywords thrown in by other players. <laughs> and uh, playing that with Lee and Sean this year was one of, like, my favorite experiences of the whole year. It is, like, one of the best party games I've ever played in my life. It is so good. Uh, <laughs> and, like, that alone, uh, like made it a runner-up qualifier that like that one experience i need to have other jackbox party pack seven playthroughs before i can say it's really that good but it it at least deserved a runner-up because of that experience and those are my runner-ups uh so sean you can pick one of those to make a comment on if you'd like to cool if you'd like to make your input on it uh and lee you can pick one also and the other one will get ignored I'm so torn between Monster Train and Jackbox. <laughs> I'm so torn. Um, I'm going to go with Monster Train. Uh, I was totally ready to write this game off for when I was initially watching you play it because it just seemed so derivative of Slay the Spire. Oh, yeah. And it is, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, what got me interested in it, and I actually I mentioned this on a recent podcast of ours, is that... I was listening to one of the songs and I noticed that the composer uses one of the instruments that I use when I write music. There's like a choir synth. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. my God, that's Sonantina Choir. I use Sonantina Choir. <laughs> and so because that of that, I started paying more attention to the music. And I really like the song that that's featured in, which is kind of like the end run boss song. And there's a bunch of other songs that I really like. I think it's just a solid soundtrack. Like it really suits the mood of the game. Um, and I think that it has this really interesting kind of prog rock identity to it that almost mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of, I, I don't want to make a direct comparison because it's almost like t comparing someone to God or something, <laughs> but there is some like PS one, uh, you know, kind of like final fantasy stuff happening, you know, with like yeah, the I, rock I organs and the discordant stuff that the composer's doing and so because I liked the music so much, I started paying attention to some of the game mechanics, and it's just a really cool game. Like, I mean, it is definitely, it's the kind of card game where, like, where like you know, after Doom, a lot of first-person shooters came out, and people were calling them Doom clones because of how similar they were, like Wolfenstein or whatever. It's sure. definitely the Wolfenstein to slay the Spire's Doom, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like... It's different enough in key ways that I think it's still a really cool experience. And I was actually, I was wondering if it was on the Switch, but it's not. It's on PC and Xbox. Um, oh, man. And, oh, that, that's that's getting a Switch 2021 port, And when right? it does, I'm picking it up. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm a convert, you know? It looks great. That, yeah, that's me saying that as a... As a smashing theory prediction man, <laughs> right. and not as a that has been confirmed. Oh, of I course, don't of think course, that has been confirmed. Yeah, not that I'm but aware that's of. That's no. got that's got to be getting yeah a switch port for sure. Yeah. So that's that's my monster train spiel. Thank thank you. Yeah, good good spiel, my dude. Jackbox party pack seven. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd pick this one. <laughs> Quiplash is always good. It's always a really fun party game to play, especially with certain people. Um, but Talking Points was just so fucking funny. Yes. <laughs> so funny. Because, like, the, oh, if you're the person picking the presentation out, you have to pick a picture for that person to talk about. <laughs> and sometimes the pictures were just so funny that I'd be giggling, like, as I'm picking for the person. Yeah. 
And, like, you can either make it really funny, you can sabotage them and make it really hard, (laughs) or you can make it really easy for them. That game is just so fun, and playing it with Sean and Daniel literally had me in tears, and my stomach was hurting (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I was laughing so hard. I had to stop early because I thought I was going to have a hernia. Like, I was laughing so fucking hard that I was in pain after, after, like, the rounds we played of that game. It's so good. Yeah, you, at one point you you had actually said that like this is the last one because I think I'm going to puke, I'm going to vomit if I have to laugh anymore. Yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> oh God, like the the funniest ones were were Sean's probably mm-hmm. just like like Sean's TED talks, like Sean's talking points were like because <laughs> I ended up as his slide man both times. <laughs> Well, yeah, two like yeah, two out of three times I ended up as a slide man. There was oh man, there was one where like he was like somehow his TED talk was about like him like saving like Robert De Niro from like some kind of disaster <laughs> or something, right. and and then like the the text for the slide that I uh, that I picked was like this is a secret I've never told anyone before. <laughs> which Sean proceeded to say. And then I picked a slide of like a guy in like a yoga class. that's like floating above the mat and Sean just sees it and goes, I am a God. (laughs) (laughs) And then like the spiel he went on from that point forward was like the funniest shit. Oh man. Talking points is so, so good. It's great. It's great. Like I considered, I considered making just talking points. One of my games of the year, but it it ended up as a runner up. Like, like, especially, I mean, with, I think if, if, if it's ex theater kids like Daniel and I, the perfect game, (laughs) it's like this combination of like frantic improvisation and grandstanding that just goes so well with everything that we were taught at the performing arts high school we attended. Yes, yes, and is a key skill. Oh yeah, yes. oh yeah. I do want to. I do want to clarify though. Lee did incredible. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was Lee's, so hard. <laughs> Lee's talking point speeches were so good. Oh god, like that made me want to like get streaming gear. You know, yeah. that made me want to like fucking get our streaming game up and running. Yeah, because uh, us. I think us streaming that would fucking be incredible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you've never done improv, but you know the general gist, then you'll do fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, all of them are so funny. Oh, they're so good. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, those are my runners-ups. Lee, what what are your runner-ups? I want to call them honorable mentions instead. Sean wrote runners-ups in, and then that's just what I ran with. But, uh... (laughs) But I, I've been saying runners-ups this whole time. Okay. <laughs> Lee, what are your runner-ups? Uh, my runner-ups are Eichenfell. It's Ooh. very cute, very charming. Uh, it's a very cute way to tell a magic school story. There's good gay representation. There's good trans representation. Yeah. Like, that's not their whole arc, and it's not mm-hmm. their whole personality which is really important to me as a non-binary person. Sure. And there is a canon non-binary character that just uses they, them pronouns. So it's nice to see in a game in 2020. (laughs) Um, It's very cute. The music is good. Uh, Watching Daniel play was really nice because it's cool to see a magic school story 
with a female main care character who's looking for her sister. And there's a bunch of charming characters with charming talents and skills. The combat's really cool, I think. I wouldn't have a bad time with that. It's also nice to see a story told like this with that kind of character and that kind of skill set because certain other magic school stories have been told by terrible people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can thoroughly enjoy the world of Eichenfell without feeling any type of way. <laughs> uh, but it's just very charming. Very cute. A lot of heart put into it. You can pet the cats. They heal you. That's all I need. Uh, the next one is the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Ooh. I know it's kind of weird that it's on my runner-up, <laughs> but uh, many years ago, like many, many years ago, I experienced Final Fantasy VII Original, and I don't remember a lot of it. So being able to revisit this is really, really cool. And being able to see it modernized with these new models, the story being told this way, the music is incredible, the combat's really cool. I like the combat a lot. Mm. It's not really yeah. 100% uh, my kind of thing, but I do really like what it's doing so far, mm-hmm. and I like how beautiful it is. My next mention is Buried Stars. Oh. Um. This is a video game about a kind of idol survival show in Korea. (laughs) And then something happens and they get uh, caved in. And it's kind kind of a death game. It's not really... But some people die and you have to figure out what the fuck is going on. <laughs> there's like <laughs> there's like a social media aspect part of the gameplay. You make choices. Some of them are timed. Some of them are not. There's social aspects. There's Korean and Japanese voice acting. It's just so good. <laughs> like The characters <laughs> are really good. There's really cool endings. Um, I just played the bad ending route, and now I'm on the true ending route. And there's a lot of mysteries to be solved, and it's unveiled in very cool ways. And the characters feel very realistic, especially as idols on a survival show, because they are competing in order to get like a contract and be their own idol. <laughs> and it's kind of like a... Kind of like... A less morose Danganronpa. Okay. But for idols, and that's very Lee Core. (laughs) (laughs) American Idol cross Danganronpa, but not American, Korean. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, All right. I wasn't expecting Eichenfell to make your honorable mentions, which is why I talked about it so much for best soundtrack. (laughs) So I'll pick Buried Stars as... uh, as the game to elaborate on because i'm kind of surprised that this didn't make your top five shocking right (laughs) yeah i think it's because i haven't fully finished it Hmm. i guess that's fair yeah but i i really do love it and you watched me play a good portion of the beginning 
I did, yeah, yeah. I watched you play kind of the prologue, and uh, it is really cool. Yeah. Like, I do love, uh, um, like, the UI is really cool for, like... <laughs> Uh, like the ways that it shows the the characters interacting with each other and the way that it shows like uh the options that you have and uh and like the menu is your smartphone which you use to like access social media and like character profiles and stuff um your smart watch sorry yeah. uh and um and like it it's great like it's it's really neat and interesting to see a game uh, that makes like social media interaction like a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, like that's such a clever idea for a visual novel. Um, and uh, also, I bought this game for Lee for Christmas uh, because Danganronpa with Korean idols in it is <laughs> could not be more of a Lee concept. Right. So I had to get it for them, and uh, I'm I'm glad they I'm glad you seem to enjoy it as as much as you did. Um, uh, but even even like even just from my perspective, it it seems like a really neat game. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that I've gotten to like kind of peripherally experience that and and see see parts of it. Yeah, I I actually was planning on choosing Buried Stars as my game to elaborate on before you did, and Ooh. the thing I wanted to highlight is even in the short amount of time that I saw Lee play it the UI really stood out to me. I mean, it's just really well-designed and clean-looking and yeah. really beautiful. I, you know, I'm a big JRPG Character fan. Character designs are fantastic. I'm a big JRPG fan, so I love a good menu, and Buried Stars has great menus. Um, and, great menus. And yes, great character designs as well. Great character sprites. Um, yeah. Yeah, really good stuff there, too. It, like, as somebody who's super into K-pop... <laughs> These are the exact designs and personalities you would see on a survival show uh, for idols. That's cool. And they also do a really good job of like highlighting the pressure and the negatives and bad aspects of being on a survival show like that and trying to compete for fame. So being able to smush that into like a kind of literal survival game is just super cool because you can still access the social media as this is going on and it does infect Mm -hmm. your mental health because there is a sanity meter (laughs) that's right it's just really cool nice yeah yeah good good pick good picks um Wait, Sean, did you uh, did you want to pick a different elaboration, or yeah, or are you just also um, no? Actually, I since you picked Buried Stars, I guess I'll zero in on Final Fantasy VII remake for a bit. Um, okay. So you played the original. I, I mean, not all the way through, right? But you're familiar with it. I've watched a friend play the whole thing, okay, but cool. that was like back in my middle school years. Sure. So yeah, you 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 have a good deal of familiarity with the original. Uh you you know, you've played a decent chunk of the remake. What do you think is the thing that the remake does the most successfully versus the original? Like what's the biggest improvement for you? <laughs> this is a very shallow answer, but the visuals. Oh, I mean, totally fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you know, back in middle school for me it was like, okay, this game's fine. Um and now I'm like, damn, this game is gorgeous. <laughs> and visuals are important to me because if I'm watching this polygon figure 
mourn somebody <laughs> or like emotion needs to be conveyed very well sure. i'm not going to feel that i'm a very empathetic based person so i need to see like certain facial expressions mm-hmm. uh body language that kind of thing so i think yeah. that really plays into it for me cool and also in terms of visuals i think also like contributing to that i think um the character designs have largely been improved yes yes you know yeah like Aerith looks great in this new version. Yeah. Uh, Tifa doesn't have boobs the size <laughs> of fucking cantaloupes anymore. Uh, but you know, like she, like she, she still looks great. You know, yes. yeah. Um, and like the the visual up, like Wedge is fucking adorable looking in this game. Um, like yeah, I, I, I think. I think the visual updates like more than just like the high def fidelity of everything, right? Like they really uh they really put a lot of thought into aesthetic and like design and stuff. And I think those, those also all look a lot better. Yeah. I think that improves upon the theme of the story too. Just being able to see the aesthetic and the characters and the world around them much clearer uh, this way. Yeah. Cause you know, like clouds, blue eyes are important. So it's, it's cool to see that more in depth. Yeah. Cool. cool. All right. Sean, your runners-ups. My first runner-up, well, you know, in no particular order, but the first one I'm talking about is Brigandine, the Legend of Runergia. This is a sort of hybrid kingdom management turn-based strategy game. And it, I mean, God, high concept-wise, so my jam, right? Like, I mean... It's hard uh-huh. to imagine a high concept that is more my jam. You spend half, roughly half of gameplay sort of organizing your troops and sending them from area to area, sending them off on quests, recruiting minions to join your army. And then the other half is are these kind of turn-based, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics-style battles where you pit your armies against one another. And I think that when we're out of quarantine and my mental health is better and I have more energy to really learn how the game works, I'm going to get <laughs> so into it that I'll just disappear into this game and you won't see me for months. But because of the state of the world, I just haven't had the brain space. Like I want to play simple, smooth brain stuff relative to this, <laughs> you know, um, like I just, I wasn't able to devote to it the attention it deserves. Uh, but I definitely wanted to give it a shout out just because of how uniquely Brigandine is suited to my particular tastes. Uh, the second game that I uh, have as a uh, runner-up is Clubhouse Games, 51 Worldwide Games. Ooh, nice. nice. Yeah. Uh, this is such a cool little game. Uh, it, I mean, it's 51 games in one, really. You know, you can play chess. You can play uh, a kind of a version of Go. Uh, you can play all these different kind of classic board games, card games. Um, and I love the presentation. I love the variety. Um, and also I finally, after trying and failing for years, kind of learned how to play Mahjong because of this game. Oh yeah. Like it just has this great tutorial. It has this reference of all the different sort of hands or, you know, melds as they're called in the game that you can get. And because of that, 
like I can watch, you know, other people playing Mahjong in video games. They're like, oh, that hand's so shitty. Or like, oh, you know, they've got something, but they need to work on it. Like just even having that <laughs> surface level of knowledge has been really entertaining for me. And it would never have happened without Clubhouse Games. So thanks, Clubhouse Games. <laughs> and uh, the third and final runner up that I wanted to highlight was the Resident Evil 3 remake, which was released in 2020. This, I had a blast playing through this game. I think that it's a great remake that really captures the spirit of the original game in a lot of ways. The reason that it is a runner-up and not a top five is that it's way too short. It's just not worth, you know, a triple-A price. And even though they threw in, you know, Resident Evil Resistance, this kind of like asymmetrical multiplayer mode as part of mm. the package, it it doesn't add enough to the game to really make it, I think, worth... Like, Resident Evil 3 is a great sale game. You know, wait until they put it on sale on Steam or on the PlayStation Store or whatever. Snap it up at that point, play it, you'll have a great time. But, I mean, mm. I beat it in like six hours. And, you know, uh, it just, for me even though I liked it a lot, um, it you could tell that like they, they cut stuff out that was in the original and you could tell that they uh, got to a point where they were like, okay, we really have to push this out. We can't add, you know, the great clock tower sequence from the original game. We can't add this. We can't add that. We can't implement Nemesis as well as we'd like. And you just get the sense that they they could have done more, but they didn't or couldn't. And so it would have felt wrong for me based on that to have it as one of my games of the year. But I wanted to give it a shout out anyway, because it's still it's a great Resident Evil experience. And if you're a fan of Resident Evil, you'll still enjoy yourself. OK, nice. Cool. Lee, why don't you pick first? OK, I'd like to go with Clubhouse Games. OK. <laughs> nice. That, that probably would have been my pick. So go, go on. It's the go one on. I know the most about. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I was actually thinking of picking this up because of all the different game options you can do, mm-hmm. and there's multiplayer. Uh, what game did you not expect to love as much as you do? Mancala. Okay, Which, nice. It's it's this game where you just you kind of like move beads around on this board, and you're trying to. I actually haven't played it in such a long time that I'm a little fuzzy on the rules, but you're like kind of trying to, I think, capture the most beads via this kind of really simple system of, uh, you know, kind of moving them around, and you're trying to put your opponent into a bad position. And I just love one thing that I really like about clubhouse games is that they really capture the kind of the tactileness of playing a board game. And so the sounds are perfect and the way the pieces move around is really satisfying. And I think that Mancala just, they really nail it with that game with like the rattling of the beads as they move to the Mm -hmm. different parts of the board. Um, You know, it, it really made me want to play that game with my hands, which is not something that I often say about board games because I don't like most of them. Uh, so, so yeah, man color for sure. I really enjoyed my time with that game and I, I, I went through and I, you know, I kind of mastered it. Like there's tiers of mastery that you can achieve for most of the games. And, uh, that was one that I did where I was able to kind of play through all the difficulty levels and win each time. I used to play the physical version with my sister growing up. So I have a very fond nostalgia Mm -hmm. for that game. And I think it's fun and easy for most people to understand. Yeah. So it's not like a complex game, but I think it's for basically like everybody. It's just really fun. It is. It's great. 
Yeah, I I actually wanted to pick Clubhouse Games to talk to elaborate on because I wanted to talk about Mancala. <laughs> um, Lee and I have actually been meeting to play each other Mancala like since I got <laughs> it, and we haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's a uh, that's that's a great experience. One thing I kind of love about the game, even though it's awful, <laughs> is all of the all like when you start a game uh <laughs> just a, just like a little video will play out of like of like uh of like a kid like like a five-year-old kid and like a man like just like playing the right. game out or something right and the dialogue is so cheesy yeah. <laughs> and so bad but like it's so cheesy and so bad that it loops back around to being like really like genuinely funny and cute <laughs> Uh, and I think it like fits kind of the vibe of that game for perfectly, sure. You know, yeah. and if I could just quickly uh, uh, talk about one other game, Daniel, that you and I really got into would be Hanafuda. Uh, oh yeah, we both really yeah. got into Hanafuda, and I think that's another game that really captures the tactileness of playing a board or a card game really well. Because you yeah. kind of like dramatically slap the cards down on top of each other, and it's just this very satisfying kind of snap sound that happens, you know, every time you do it. And even just even just the auditory feedback made me want to do better at that game. So just yeah, really <laughs> well designed from kind of an aesthetical sense. Yeah, I really appreciate Clubhouse Games actually because I've always been so intrigued by Hanafuda mm-hmm. ever since learning that Nintendo got its start right. as a Hanafuda card company. Like I was just like, what the what the hell's Hanafuda? <laughs> oh, it's this. I don't like just reading about this. I don't understand this. I don't know what this is, but I want to know more about yeah. it. And uh, and then Hanafuda was included in Fifty One Clubhouse Games, and I learned how to play Hanafuda. Yeah. And like, yeah, it was, that was that was great. I love that. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, very cool. Okay, I will pick uh, Brigandine, The Legend of Renerja to talk okay. about. Um, uh, so, like, our, I know that, like, th- this game has a bunch of different, like, factions that you can play yes. as, right? Like, um, is it like you pick one and then you're locked into that story for a full playthrough? Uh, yes. So, basically, yeah, it's... Um... I don't want to call it a roguelite, but it is like, you know, it, it reminds me of kind of like classic computer strategy games, right? Where you Ooh. you pick, you know, the Alliance or the Horde or whatever. Like there's these different factions. And then, yeah, you, you pick a faction. I think I believe there's five of them. And then you experience that faction's story throughout your playthrough. Um, cool. Yeah, so I've I've tried two factions so far. One of them was kind of just like the the very standard sort of medieval kingdom faction. And then another of them uh, that I tried is like a race of warrior women, basically, or kind of a faction of warrior (laughs) women who are able to somehow reproduce without men. Um, And whenever a male is born to them, they're like sent out to another faction. Um, And I picked them because I thought that was a really intriguing premise. Unfortunately, their designs are quite horny. Um, so that was, <laughs> that was a bit of a, that, that was a little off-putting. Um, but I, I'm definitely still, I'm interested to kind of explore the story of the world of Brigadine and to learn more about it because it seems interesting from the outset. Cool. Yeah. It seems very like Sean vibes, oh, yeah. but I, I'm also like pretty intrigued by it. Like if it's ever on sale for like 
15 bucks, I might also pick it cool. up. Because it seems neat. It seems like it's got some cool stuff. Yeah, it really does. There's a lot that's great there. And I'm looking, once I'm in a better headspace, I'm looking forward to diving in and getting lost in it. I'll watch. Cool. <laughs> cool. Okay, so. Uh, hi, everybody. Daniel here. After we finished talking about runner-ups, we went on to do our top five per person, and we may have ended up talking about that for three-plus hours. So this is the end of part one, and part two, which will include all of our top fives, will air next week. Uh, so hope you enjoyed this, and hope you look forward to more deliberations. Uh, okay. I'm going to play the end theme now, and I'll see you guys later. Enjoy. The special thanks we recorded for the episode will be at the end of part two but special thanks to Lonald I love you Lonald special thanks to Nymph I love you <laughs> special thanks to my fiance Lee <laughs> Lee is in the room glaring at me as I do this I love you very much <laughs> I wish there were visual aids it's, it's, it's great I'm sorry, I'm the only one that can see this. Special thanks to Mr. Cool Rod Luigi, Wahoo. Special thanks to Cool Gabe, La La La. Special thanks to Vinny G. Uh, good, miss you, man. And special thanks to Vinniber. Uh, we talk about it more, but uh, this is the last special thanks for Vinniber. But now Vinegar gets two because I, I split it up. I split this up into two. So special thanks to everybody. <laughs> Give us $20 uh, for a version of this where uh, Sean also contributes. Uh, see you. Bye. Next week. Okay. Later.